Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com, it is Stephen Holder. So help me make sense of, and I think I know a little bit, uh, why people... Uh, so want around here Lamar Jackson. It's because they are starved from winning and they think that that is going to be instant access to it. However, we've seen this not happen over the past history of this team. And, you know, yet you get another guy that's all dinged up and you give away assets. To me, you're in a spot to draft, so go ahead and draft. Even if it's somebody that I don't personally agree with like will levis for example just make the draft pick and make it a quarterback in that top four that's all you have to do to me so i can see both sides of it okay well actually before we go on you know i always got a comment on the intro music okay so <laughs> so stevie wonder i my 13 year old daughter i played some stevie wonder recently and i asked her do you know who this is she did not know and i had to really take a long look in the mirror that That's was crazy. on me. Let me tell you this. Yeah. I have a mini mix that will occasionally play on the Jam V Takeover on Saturday nights. DJ Skids put together two songs in a mini mix. One is Stevie Wonder's uh, Superstitious. Mm. And it goes okay. from Superstitious to the Ghetto Boys, Mine's Playing Tricks on Me. And it's great. <laughs> great. That sounds amazing. <laughs> now, we had to do yeah. some funky editing. But it sounds great. <laughs> it does. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm very yes, intrigued. You got to hear it sometime. It is. Yeah. Of, of the many that he has done, it is outstandingly one of the best. All right, cool. Well, uh, I will look out for that. So now back to your question. All right. So what everything you laid out is, is totally fair. And I probably side more with, with what you laid out. Uh, this is an opportunity they haven't had for a while to take this this top draft pick or early draft pick and, and go that route. I totally get that. And I I could make that argument a very persuasive one. On the other hand, I do want to make a distinction. I do think that the idea, the notion of pursuing Lamar Jackson is very, very different than pursuing Philip rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. I I think this is a totally different uh, premise, frankly. Now, I understand the trepidation, (laughs) okay? I get it. They gave up a first and a third for Carson Wentz, and he was gone a year later. Like, I get it, right? The only thing I'd say is that none of those guys had recent performances anything near to what Lamar Jackson is capable of right now and is still theoretically capable of for many years to come, being 26 years old. Now, I can make a lot of counter-arguments, right? The the cost, uh, the draft picks, the – the injury history of, of late with him, I can make a lot of counter arguments, but um, I would also say when you juxtapose that versus this sort of roll of the dice with a draft pick, because it always is, right? You know how these guys can be. It's a 50-50 shot at best. There's a little more certainty with Lamar Jackson, even though the cost is, is, is a lot higher. And it makes this team relevant, which they have not been for a very, very, very long time. So... But here's what I think about this, and I, I haven't like 
ask. But I would think on this that Chris Ballard would be definitely against and Jim Ursay would be pushing forward if he thought remotely there was a possibility. Is that that dynamic that might be working right now? Well, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's been well actually I can say this. This is what I can say. It has not been ruled out. That I know. But that is not the same thing as saying they are actively pursuing Lamar Jackson. I think they're weighing their options. They got time, right? They've got, oh, you know, about five weeks till the draft. Because I think this is when you have to make this decision. You, you don't go past the draft and then decide willy-nilly, oh, yeah, hey, you know what, what's up with Lamar Jackson? No, you're going to deal with this now, I think. You know, because you need some certainty about quarterback before the draft. So, that being said, I mean, they have, they have five weeks, and they understand that. Or, you know, four, four and a half, five weeks, they understand that. So, I don't think there's any need to necessarily go bang his door down right now. But it costs you nothing to pick up the phone and to see what would it take, right? At least, at least know. You at least need to know is what I think. And so, it's unclear whether they've done that. But I would be very, I don't know, not surprised, but I'd probably be a little disappointed if they didn't at least find out. Because here's the thing. Lamar Jackson's probably not getting a, a guaranteed contract, a fully guaranteed contract, right? I just don't see a scenario where that happens. And so maybe there comes a time when he realizes that and he says to himself, okay, well, what would I settle for? And that's what I would want to know if I'm the Colts. What would he settle for? Look, I get it. There's a lot of there's a lot of arguments I can make against this. I've already made some of them. They are a small market team. Look, uh, I don't know Jim Mercer's checkbook and what it looks like, but it's not the same as, say, Stan Kroenke, right, the Los Angeles Rams owner who has very, very deep pockets. You know, I, I understand. There are some real – there are some realities here. But all I'm saying is uh, I, I do think it's worth investigating, and, and I think they have at least kept it – uh, not on the table, but like in a corner of the table somewhere. <laughs> Put it that way. I have said this, and Stephen Holder joins us from ESPN.com. I would rather have them go all in to do what Carolina did mm. to get C.J. Stroud than I would mess around and try to get Lamar Jackson. Well, that's that's a perfectly reasonable argument. I mean, now, to do that, you have to be like fully – convicted, right? That sure, sure. that a guy like CJ Stroud or the, even if it's Bryce Young, whoever, right? You have to be like a hundred percent convicted that this is the guy and he is our future. He's gonna show us the way. I don't get the feeling, you know, now I'm not saying this has been articulated in these words, but it sure looks to me like the Colts don't have that level of conviction about anybody in this draft. I mean, they didn't make, from from all indications, they did not make a truly concerted effort to trade up. Even knowing the stakes, right? And and Ballard talking about, you know, what it's going to look like if they don't move up and all that. Like, he he understood the optics of this. And even despite all that, and despite his owner being like, come on, dude, give me a quarterback. (laughs) He was like, nah, we're good. We're going to stay put. And I'm just saying that coupled with other things that I've seen and heard, to me, the takeaway for me is that they are not necessarily um, agnostic about these quarterbacks, but, but they're just not necessarily over the top in love with them. And that's okay, right? I mean, just because there are 
decent quarterbacks available doesn't mean there are going to be some generational talents either, right? So I, I but again, but your point is fair as long as I'm talking going in all going all in to make the trade up in the draft. That point is fair so long as you are fully convicted and you can sleep at night knowing that your evaluation was was really good on that guy. So. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. If clearly they didn't have the conviction that you're talking about to move up to to get right. one certain player, should that disappoint Colts fans? Because when you do it again, I'm an advocate of them drafting somebody, and I believe it's going to be Will Levis. But should Colts fans be disappointed because they're settling and in fact settling for somebody that maybe they don't completely agree? that is going to transition into something that they presently need and need in a bad way. Right. I think that's a fair concern. It's a fair concern. I mean, can we say that for sure? No, but I, I do think that it, it tells you something uh, that, that this team that is in, I think there were two teams in this draft that were under the most pressure when it comes to quarterbacks. I think it's the Colts and I think it's the Panthers, the Panthers, reacted to that in a very bold manner. The, the Colts so far have not done anything. Not, not that I'm saying they're wrong. I'm just saying those are the two teams that are, that are under the most, I think, the most pressure to, to figure something out at quarterback because their, their problems have lingered for multiple, multiple years, both of those teams. And the, the Panthers did something about it. The Colts are waiting for it to come to them. And I, that has worked out for teams Right, I mean, it's not like Patrick Mahomes was the first overall pick, but at the same time, the counter argument with Patrick Mahomes is people forget Kansas City made a hell of a trade and they went up to number ten and got him. They were not going to get him staying put, and that is because they had a lot of conviction about him. So I can't sit here and tell you that I feel that the Colts have any any level of conviction like that about any quarterback in this particular draft. Yeah, not even trading down right maybe yeah, trading down I, I, it's weird because mel kuyper's thing had him going up to three and yeah. I, I i more see them staying at four because i think they're going to be able to get what they want at four i think they probably can uh obviously you you lose a little bit of control of the situation right if you if you stay at four someone could jump you uh, look, I mean, if and they've already the clock, done that. They've already lost a little bit of control here, right? So, I mean, oh, they've lost I mean, a lot. Of yeah, control. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, they've lost most of the control. Okay, let's be clear. Uh, there, there are four quarterbacks we think in this top tier, and a minimum of two of them are going to be gone, unless there's something we're missing, right? Unless there's something that that we can't even imagine that someone's planning to do, and I and I don't know who that would even be, right? So, yeah, so two of the top tier quarterbacks of the four are likely to be gone, possibly three, depending on what happens at number three, pick number three, right? Does someone move ahead of them? So if you're going to cede that much control of the situation, that tells me (laughs) it don't bother you, man. You know what I mean? You're not bothered by that. So I don't know what you take from that, but that's what it says to me. Yeah, it's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I will say this, because uh, they had to address it, there's no doubt, and I still think they need to address it even more. But Isaiah McKenzie, I'll take it. You know, in a world in which yeah. you kind of grasp for anything you can get, 
when Ballard's searching for, you know, like Kroger, like I do, for the wow stickers on this to be uh, much, much, much different than retail price, I'll take it. Yeah, I agree with you. But here's my problem with free agency so far. Uh, they are basically, they're just, they're, they're standing in place. And what I mean by that is, hear me out. So, uh, Bucum, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Samson Bucum from the 49ers, he comes in at defensive end. He's basically taking the place of Yannick Ngakwe. Okay, fine. Uh, if you want to say that's a wash, ah, we'll see. But let's say it's a wash, like best case scenario, right? Fine. In this particular case, Isaiah McKenzie, what's happening there? He's a slot receiver. He's taking the place of Paris Campbell. Basically, they, they haven't taken any steps forward. You know, I mean, I think the, the kicker does move the ball. I, I agree with that. And I don't mean no pun intended there. Uh, the kicker is progress because that was an area they had to, to kind of get some certainty on. But I thought they were, they were doing fine there once they moved on from Hot Rod last year, right? I mean, I thought that, that position at least got settled. So you could even argue, even though Matt Gay is clearly, uh, you know, an elite kicker and it's an upgrade, but like, that wasn't a like a foremost problem. You could have brought back last year's kicker, and you could have been fine. Uh, but fine, whatever. You upgraded a, a bit there. But I just don't think there's any way in which this team's better. They're, they're just not better in any measurable way uh, based on their move so far in free agency. Now, it's not over, and Ballard is – or he, he has a history of striking late in free agency. So – I'm waiting to see. I mean, I don't think the, the story has been written. The chapter's not over. But so far, they are not a very much improved team. Well, I said this all along, that he's going to be himself. A lot of people yeah. felt he was going to change. First six years, you, you know, you get the lack of results there, and you're going to have to, you know, adjust. Maybe not change, but adjust in this case. And I've said all along that he's going to be him. He's going to be him. He's going to do what he feels uh, is uh, according to his values and building a team. And come hell or high water, that's what's going to happen. And I think we're seeing some of that at the early stages going into year number seven or year number one of the reboot, if you will, right now. Right. And, and I agree with everything you said there. And it also here's here's another byproduct of of what we're what we're seeing here. Here's here's another takeaway, I guess. Put it that way. What it says to you even further is that Jim Mersey has has ceded control to Chris Ballard. Yes. Okay? Because <laughs> there's no question about it. This is not a guy who's acting out of fear of his job or um, who is under the owner's thumb. None of that. Okay. This is Chris Ballard doing what Chris Ballard does. And whatever plan they have envisioned, he has sold Jim Mersey on that vision. And he's moving forward accordingly. Right or wrong, disagree, agree, I, I, that's irrelevant. I'm just telling you, as a listener out there, right? I mean, this is one of the things to take away here. And, and, and I will say, I'm not surprised by that. I think the, the, the coaching hire told me that. That was a Chris Ballard hire. I don't think that necessarily uh, got Jim Mersey going, but hiring Shane Steichen, even though I think it's a good hire. I'm just saying it's not a sexy hire, right? And then, and then the way they have approached free agency, clearly not sexy at all there, right? So this is Chris Ballard doing what Chris Ballard does and tells me that Chris Ballard has latitude. 
He does. Got three more years at least. Two. I know you got to run here. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. I don't think we've brought this up before, but I'll leave you with this. You ever think about, and I know that this is just you know something you bring up to bring up, but had they closed out Minnesota, closed out Dallas, you know, one against Washington, Jeff Saturday's here and Chris Ballard isn't. <laughs> That'd be one hell of a storyline, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, I, I think I think they win win two of those games, right? When a couple of those games close them out, which I think is reasonable. Yeah. I think yeah, that's what we're looking at right now. Well, look, I mean, it was it was indefensible with at one and seven, no doubt, and, and yes. losing in, in historic fashion in, in those two games you outlined, right? So absolutely indefensible. But I also think if you do win a couple more of those games. I think your team is more invested. They're 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 more apt to to give more effort. I thought the effort did kind of wane at the end of the season, and and that was kind of disappointing. But I get it too, right? I mean, we're all human, you know. I mean, <laughs> look, I, are you going to try as hard in the, in a thirty point blowout as you do, you know, when the game's nicked and tucked, right? And it's the same thing in an individual game as it is over the course of an entire season, right? When the, right. when it's, when you're four and 11, I mean, you're not giving the same effort at that point that you might, at least not everyone is. So anyway, I, I don't disagree with you. I actually think that's a good point and it, it'd be a fun conversation just to speculate <laughs> what that would look like. I guarantee you that at some point we'll revisit. I guarantee that. <laughs> Let's do that. That'll be fun. I, I'll say this. I, I do think, I, I think the, the overarching uh, point there is that, Whatever, um, you know, wh- whatever vision Jamerce might have had of bringing Jeff Saturday back in the long term, it was made infinitely harder by the results. Yes. And I have no idea how strongly he felt about it in the end, but it, it, it wasn't an argument. He didn't have a leg to stand on. Had uh, what you outlined happened, he would have had a leg to stand on, and that would have been different. Yeah, no doubt. All right. I know you got to run here, buddy. I appreciate it as always. You got it. Anytime. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, Indiana, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. JJ, hello. Hello, John. How are you? I don't think Nickelback's in concert tonight, or I'd have to check him out, right? I'll tell you what. I've never been to Toronto, but I've heard many a great thing about it. Many. Well, normally when we are here, and I obviously have not been here since the pandemic, it's very cold, and I would say today it's probably... Uh, in the 40s, maybe even the 50s, sun sun is shining, and I also would say that it's uh, it's a pretty cool city. So I'm glad to be back, and they let me in the country, so that's a good thing as well. How long has it been since you've been in Toronto? Well, I only know this because I looked it up a, a few weeks ago when I was frantically trying to figure out my passport situation. The last time that I used my passport was February of 2020. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is the first return trip. And the Pacers only play the Raptors in Toronto one time this season. It just so happened to be in the final ten games of the year. So just one trip to Toronto this season. But it has been since February of 2020 that I have been here. Now, is it a pain to get in and get out? I would say it's not too bad getting in. Uh, just to kind of peel behind the curtain a little bit, we have a little bit of extra security to go through. And, obviously, you have to show your passports. It is the one city that the team goes through uh, the airport terminal because you have to go through the passport um, windows in the actual airport. So tomorrow night after the game, flying to Boston, it'll be the one time the team has to actually go through the airport terminal instead of have 
their own little private area to, to go through. So it takes a little bit longer leaving the country than, than coming in, and we'll have to deal with that tomorrow night. I would say if you play for the Raptors, it would probably be over the course of the season um, some extra, uh, an extra little bit of hassle you just have to deal with. Now, do you have to do you have to go through like security and go through uh, you know you have to take um, your belt off and take stuff out of your pockets and all that? Yep, just like everybody else in in Toronto, and it's a, it's a little bit different not to get too into the weeds here uh, when you're traveling in the country in the United States. Uh, we have a little bit of a different security measure. Right. But in, in Toronto, everyone has to go through that. That's correct. JJ's with us, Valley Sports Indiana. Of course, the game coming up tomorrow night. Last night last night was a bummer. And I know for a lot of people out there, JJ, and I know you hear from them as well, uh, they want to see the Pacers finish outside the play-in, and they want to see them get the best percentages at the highest draft selection possible. And I do understand that. But I'm sorry. I want them to win games they should be able to win. And last night was a complete bummer because they played so well in the first and got progressively worse second through the fourth. And that's not how I want them to be. Even if the better solution here is is the draft and the better percentage, I don't want to see them now or anytime against a team like Charlotte look like they did for three quarters. I think I felt the exact same way as you uh, on that bus to the airport and then on the plane to Toronto. I was a little bit bummed. And this is a season about development, so you're trying to gain experience in certain situations. And if you have a 21-point lead, what you hope is that down the road you're not giving that up. And you you had some young players in – you know, really important roles in the game last night. And Andrew Nemhard as the starting point guard, uh, I think has looked a lot better during this last stint that Tyrese Halliburton was injured. But you do have to acknowledge that he's still a rookie and he's not going to be great every night. And maybe, you know, last night some of the youngsters struggled just a little bit. And I think what Rick Carlisle said in the postgame press conference is exactly what I was thinking, that it came so easily for this team in that first quarter when they built the lead up to 21 points, sometimes that's the last thing you want because it can just cause you to relax a little bit. And then when the other team or the team that's behind gets a little momentum, sometimes it's hard to stop them. But I still thought the Hornets came back and the Pacers built the lead up to nine with about five minutes left and the starters were on the court. That should have been enough to close out that team because the Hornets, to me, felt like a team – Outside of maybe Gordon Hayward, because I still think he makes the right play and is a, a really important player for that franchise if they're to, to move forward. Um, they're, they seem like a lot of guys that just want to make sure they get their 23 or 25 points and it did not seem like they were as concerned about actually winning the game. Then when you let them get, get back to within a possession, of course, I mean, obviously they were wanting to win the game, but um, they shouldn't have been able to play such good defense against the Pacers is what I would say, and that's what really was the Pacers' undoing. Um, as they kind of went cold late fourth quarter. It's uh, Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, Indiana. Pacers got the matchup with the Raptors coming up tomorrow night. I'm, I'm curious, Tyrese Halliburton, I didn't hear last night any timetable, anything new here, and I want you to play off of that as well. I, listen, there have been Pacers in the past where if they're missing, this team is certainly not not as good, not nearly as good, but there is a pretty big difference between when he's in the game and when he's not in the game. Maybe one of the more significant than we've seen around here in a while. 
Yeah, if you have a most valuable player, I know he will not get MVP vote, votes in the NBA, but you probably need to consider how valuable he is to this team uh, because they can win a game or two. They've had some moments. You just looked in Milwaukee and you looked to Golden State games. They won without him. But consistency is really difficult, and I also think clutch time performances have been you know few and far between without Tyrese Halliburton. The Pacers since the All-Star break, they've won five of eight road games. The three they've lost are to the Pistons, the Hornets, and Spurs. And you can make a case that if Tyrese Halliburton played in all of those games, they're not losses. And then if you have those three additional wins, you're in a little bit of a different spot in the standings. So I don't have an official update for you. I think that'll come out in the next hour or so, but um, I see nothing to say that he, he wouldn't be questionable again as he was heading into the game um, last night. And, and we'll have to just see a little bit closer to tip-off. But the Pacers are a different team with a different outlook and a different level of expectation when he plays. And he had missed those games in Detroit with the knee uh, bruise or the knee soreness and then sprained his ankle in practice. And I think that really did sort of changed things over the last week. Even though the Pacers got that win in Milwaukee, it's just a little bit of a different situation with just 10 games to go, and and now that he's missed the last five. You ever seen a dude like Benedict Matherin? Last night, his return, 18 points and three rebounds. But I bring this up with respect to his demeanor. And when Shane Steichen got hired around here, the common quote was, he's all ball. Benedict Matherin cares nothing about anything else other than playing basketball. There's no foolishness. There's no laughing. There's no really nothing. There's nobody that I've seen in a while, maybe since David West, that was more business on the court than Benedict Matherin. And I guess that's a bit surprising, given his youth, you know, his age, and still the freshness he is playing in the NBA. And I'll add on to that a little bit. I've not seen a rookie come into the NBA and have this attitude that he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks about him. He's not the guy that's trying to, outside of a couple of his former teammates at Arizona, you don't see a lot of hugging and high-fiving with the opposition after games. He's not trying to uh, win any personality He kind of gets up and leaves, doesn't he? That's about it. Yeah, he, he's out of there. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, I, it's kind of refreshing. It's, it's a little bit different, uh, I will admit. And I think there are sometimes there are some hard fouls. Um, that you think, oh, you know, maybe that's uh, a youngster going against a veteran. I don't think he meant any ill will towards Gordon Hayward, but it was a little bit of a scary foul yesterday towards the end of that game. And then immediately he went to Gordon and and apologized and wanted to make sure he was okay. But it is a little bit indicative of that was an important foul to make to make sure he did not get the basket easily. And so I agree with you. He's, He's all about basketball. He is not intimidated by anybody, and it was Pretty refreshing to see him come back after missing just four games with that injury. When he was carried off the court against the Rockets, the thought crossed my mind, we might have seen the last of Benedict Matherin this season. And he told me today after practice that he acknowledged this game against Toronto is a big deal to him. He grew up a Raptors fan. It's his first time playing in the NBA in Canada. And so I think he, he wanted to get back as soon as he could. But I do think he rehabbed with a mindset that, get back, play that game in Charlotte, and be able to be um, as good as he can be and play in Toronto. So uh, I'm expecting him to build on what he did last night and really show out against the Raptors. This is a big deal to him. Did he at all wear ankle braces before he ended up rolling that ankle a couple weeks back? 
You know, the ankle braces, I feel like that's a little bit of a, something from our era because I wore the ankle braces all yeah. the time, and then whenever I didn't wear them, that's when I would sprain my ankle. I don't know the taping um, strategies or the taping process for them. I think most players probably tape their ankles, but the actual ankle braces you don't see as much from precautionary me- measures as, as you did back in the 90s. It just it seems like because he is such a driving step-through guy, and I'm, I'm – concerned that because that is his style of play which is very successful very positive but that's probably not going to be the first time when he steps sideways on somebody's foot driving to the hole i agree with that and i found found myself watching practice today just watching people's feet because it is amazing that that does not happen more exactly as big as their feet are as much movements going around the paint and once you do that i you know i'll go back to gordon hayward you know when you have what happened to him um, in that game against the Cavs, his first or first game with the Celtics, I would think every time you go in or you come down, you think about it a little bit. So you hope that Bennett and Matherin um, doesn't have to deal with that and doesn't have a recurring ankle injury. But I don't know all the background on the precautionary measures that will have moving forward. But at least for right now, I'm, I'm guessing he's got a pretty good tape job on that ankle for the rest of the season. Did you get a chance to talk to Gordon Hayward last night? Uh, just a little bit pleasantries before and after the game, and I did get the chance to talk to his parents, who happened to be there in Charlotte for you know three or four minutes after the game because they were uh, in the tunnel as the postgame show was ending, and they were talking a little bit with Ronald Nord. And I did tell them it just it feels like old times being in March in a basketball uh, <laughs> arena, and Ronald Nord's there, and Gordon yeah. Hayward's there, and and Gordon's parents are there. Because and you were there too. Time. You were there. I was there yeah. every single Butler NCAA tournament game in 2010 and 2011, and actually reminded them them of that. And actually, Gordon's mom did say to me, she was at least she enjoyed watching the coverage last weekend. She said nobody showed or brought up that last shot against Duke. <laughs> I think they're probably tired of that. But I, I said, you know, there are a lot better memories than that. And I think the story is such that it's everlasting. I mean, it'll be it'll be a, the story and some of those highlights and some of those images they'll be replaying this time of year for 20 years down the road. Well, that's the most exciting miss in the history of misses, isn't it? In terms of basketball? And I hate to yeah, put it that it, way it because really we all sound real weak, if, but yeah. Sure. If that goes down, I mean, where would you put that up there? It, it, it's Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, not, yeah. not that you're expecting to go in. It's, it's, better, than my, it's so better than Jenkins. Like, Jenkins had, you know, the three Villanova won, right? Last time they were in Houston, I believe, for the Final Four when they won it all with that Jenkins three-pointer against Carolina. It, it would have been five times that. But think about the IU fan. I mean, where would what would they be thinking if Keith Smart's shot had not gone yeah. down? But those were those were regular shots. I mean, to have right. Gordon Hayward right. potentially be able to get that rebound and have the screen set for Matt Howard. And if that would have gone in to cap off that story, it's something you could not have written. And and the fact that it just bounced off, I'm sure there's a little bit of pain. And really, I've heard Gordon do some interviews about this sense that it's probably the possession before that he missed, I think, a baseline jumper that, that really causes the pain because that's the shot that you, that you practice. You don't really uh, plan on those half-court heaps. So uh, it's still a little bit of a what-if, but it's still one of the most amazing stories. And I've told Matt Howard this um, a couple of times at some golf outings that I still am endorsing a 30-for-30 30 30 on those two runs. And if ESPN or whoever wants to put the documentary or the movie together, we've got some pretty – we got some pretty good behind-the-scenes interviews and footage that we can be willing to share, assuming the hard drives still work. So, Jeremiah Johnson with us. The reason why I brought up Gordon 
is, and I know he's made a lot of money and he loves basketball and all that. But to me, it doesn't look like he's had much fun whatsoever playing basketball since he left Salt Lake City. It, yeah, it, it's easy to say that from afar. And, and Kristen Air and I were talking a little bit about that after the game. Obviously, he's he has a great contract, and you have to be appreciative of the Hornets if you're the, the Hayward family for the amount of money that he's been able to get to play the game of basketball. But in terms of team success and also still – kind of battling through some from some nagging injuries it's probably been frustrating i still think whenever this contract ends i think he has one year left on the current deal that he has that he still has some life in his nba career and you would hope he would be in a situation where he does enjoy it a little more and maybe get a chance to have sustained health and success and and who knows where that might be i think really anything is possible and i did note that he spent a lot of time you know chatting it up with george hill before the game, a couple of a couple of Indiana products and a couple of guys that did enjoy their time together in Utah. So we'll see what happens. But whatever it does happen, he's had an amazing NBA career, and you have to be happy for him when you think about where he came from and maybe how unheralded he was as a basketball recruit as a, as a high school player, at least early in his high school days. Yeah, all you ever heard about was his tennis game. That was it. I mean, it wasn't it, but I, you know, it was his tennis game. They talked about a great deal. He lives in San Diego now, uh, somewhere in Southern California. He did have a place there. I don't. I'm not a hundred percent if that's still where he calls home or not. To be perfectly honest with hmm. you. Well, anyway, I was thinking about that last night. It just he he felt like he was like perfect at that time for the Jazz, and it just even going you know back with with Brad Stevens and, you know, being in Boston, it never quite felt right, and it really hasn't felt right for him since. If he had not gotten hurt early in that time with Boston, right. I think everything could have changed. Could have been maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe things with, with Kyrie in that situation would have been a little bit better. So it, that's another great what-if question, and it's unfortunate that the injury happened, and then as you said. But he still, after the, the Boston situation, was able to get a contract that is – uh, life-changing for him and his kids, and it's probably his kids' kids. <laughs> no doubt about that. J.J., tomorrow night you got Toronto, you got the Pacers. A couple of thoughts regarding that thing and what you're going over, and I'll let you bail. Yeah, just, you know, I will look at the standings. There are just 10 games remaining, and so it does feel like it's the Pacers' last chance to be in this mix because if you would win this game, you win, you know, you gain a game on – gain a game on a team in front of you, and you do have the tiebreaker. So there still is an opportunity. The loss to the Hornets really does hurt your chances, I think, and Chicago seems to be playing well. The thing that they need to do if they're going to try to win that game or if they're going to be successful is take better care of the basketball. We saw against the Sixers 17 turnovers, which prior to last night was the most since the All-Star break, and then they were in the 20s, and the points off of turnovers were just a number that – you don't often win when that happens. And you take on Toronto, one thing we know is their active hands, their length, they're going to try to get deflections, they're trying to force turnovers. And so the Tyrese Halliburton situation, whether he's able to play or not, would seem to be really important. But even if he doesn't, everyone else has to make a concerted effort to take better care of the basketball because if not – that's where the Raptors will get you. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, looking forward to just the atmosphere. It's always one of the more intense venues. The Pacers have struggled in this building over the years. But they've also, in the last couple of weeks, they've bounced back from tough losses. So we'll see what they've got in store for tomorrow night. I don't think anyone expected last Thursday a win in Milwaukee, and so maybe they can do that again. I have a friend of the show that brings a case for me maybe once 
or maybe twice, maybe once every couple of years or so, um, from Ireland. And they are peanut butter chocolate Kit Kat, which I believe they also have in Toronto, in Canada, which I don't think they sell here. Yes, it is. And there's a reason why I don't mind when that guy brings it from Ireland, because I, I... I was introduced to them because they didn't have them here. Introduced to them when I was with, in London with the Colts, and I thought, holy crap, these are awesome. And he would bring them over in a case. Check them out. Go to a convenience store because you got the night to do so and see if you can find one, man. Crank one back I home for me. I that. And right, that there's, a good, there's a store that I think if they are in Toronto, they will be there, and it's near our hotel. The other thing that I always think is uh, unique, of right, right down the street from where we stay, there's a dry cleaner slash sushi spot, all in one. So oh, really? If you want to get your dry cleaning done and have some sushi as well. You don't see that every day as well. <laughs> Are you a sushi eater? I do like sushi. I mean, it's not something that I do all the time, but I definitely am not afraid of it. And uh, I just haven't gotten it at the dry cleaning sushi spot. See, I'll probably try to find one that just specializes in the sushi and, and, and worries about the dry cleaning somewhere else. I've had it once, and I got it from a gas station. Yeah, that, that's not the suggestion. Yeah, uh, I, but go, go somewhere I, where you've got to, you know, that's that's their bread and butter. I should have it more because I eat the hell out of tuna. I'll eat it from the package. I'll eat it from the can. I'm a big tuna guy, so hey, I would don't do be it. Scared of it? My 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 mom actually, she's scared of sushi. I don't understand why. It's just rice and you know some fish inside. Yeah. You don't have to get the most exotic, extreme sushi. Now that I can understand if the raw fish scares you a little bit. But there are a lot of options and a lot of roles that I particularly yes. enjoy. And I, you know, you're making me hungry. I hadn't decided what I was going to do for dinner. I may have some sushi tonight. All right, I will be looking for those please. peanut butter Kit Kats for sure. Throw a couple of those in your overnight bag, if you will. Bring one back for your good friend here. I'll send it to you, and I'll, I just got to make sure the value of those doesn't exceed the amount I'm able to leave the country with. <laughs> <Should be free-wise. laughs> Appreciate it, man. We'll be watching coming up tomorrow night, JJ. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, John. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline to start the day. The voice of nearly everything around here when it comes to high school, collegiate, professional. He is our friend, Greg Rakestraw. Hello, Greg. Hello, my friend, and I can vouch for Hartwell's. It is really good stuff. Really? So, in fact, I am I am friends with the owner of Hartwell's, and so if you would like, you know, like a month-long supply, yes. I'm sure I can get that arranged for you. I can get down with some creamy dill ranch. You know, normally I like something with a little spice to it, a little buffalo thing, but I, I think with age, I don't. my stomach doesn't handle the spice as it did years ago, right? I used to be a huge red beans and rice-like, five, six times a week guy. That was back, remember the 90s when you ate pasta and rice and they said it was low in fat and good for you? It was like dietary? (laughs) And then I jumped on board and my ass got real fat. (laughs) It was like snack wells. Snack wells, hey, look how low fat. Okay, wait a minute. Well, where's this coming from then? There's no low fat in this. But I jumped on board on that. I did nothing but red beans and rice and I would just slam it with hot sauce because they would also, hot sauce supposedly will help um, speed up uh, your, your digestion, yeah. Right? Well, not yeah. even no, not uh, your uh, burning your fat. Yeah, metabolism, burning fat process. So I bought into all that, and and clearly it didn't help. But I was a big fan of red beans and rice. So I, I just can't really do it as much as I I used to anymore. I guess twenty five years later, unfortunately. Well, clearly, of all of your friends, I'm probably the last one you should ask about weight loss. I would go the opposite direction, whatever I have to say. (laughs) 
Well, I'll try the Hartwell's, though. I am down with the Hartwell's Creamy Dill Ranch Dressing. I'm down with that right there. Thank you. Um, let's get some thoughts collegiately. Uh, there was a promo that just played, talked about Purdue, talked about IU, things that I wanted to see happen. I wanted to see Matt kind of shake loose of the past couple of years and you know the double seed losses like that. And unfortunately, uh, the team's play made it worse. I wanted to see Trey shake loose of, well, he was really good and productive, but never won anything, never went deep in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and we saw that didn't happen. What, where do we gather a couple of days later after both of those teams were eliminated from the NCAA tournament? You know, it's, it's a different ball of wax for Purdue than Indiana. And normally Indiana is held to a higher standard. That's not the case here. Yes, Indiana had a disappointing end of the season. Yes, people had hoped for at least the second weekend, if not the final four. And going into the tournament, we said, hey, you're not sure what's possible. They could be done the first round. They could be, you know, they could be playing the final weekend. I didn't think they'd make the final weekend because I had not seen them string together really good performances, you know, more than, say, two or three times in a row the entire season. You know, their, their highs are really good and their lows are really bad. And we saw one of their lows, not for 40 minutes, but for the opening five minutes and the last five minutes um, against Miami, and that was enough to do them in. Uh, and so disappointing, but still, and I realize the bar has not been set very high at this, this is the best season Indiana's had in some time. And now, obviously, things will change with no trace, and I expect there to be no Jalen Hood, you know. But again... Um, it is much easier to restock the cupboard now than it used to be. You know, and while there are talented freshmen coming in and they are in on, you know, several big recruits in, in a couple of different classes, you don't have to do that route anymore. It's not hard to recruit to Indiana when you draw 17,000 fans a game and the name image likeness money tends to be pretty good in Bloomington. You can kind of go and, and pick off, Players that want to go elsewhere, you can do that. And so while you can be disappointed that it didn't work out better for Trace in terms of his final NCAA tournament, they will find uh, you know a player that is maybe not far from his skill set, you can find that guy in the transfer portal. Purdue's a completely different story. And they could have a big chunk of that team back next year. And what we have said in terms of, hey, Big Ten championship is nice, Big Ten tournament title is nice. What do you do in March? Okay, that conversation just got amplified by like a factor of 15. Because now let's spin this forward. They have a great run in November. What's everybody going to say? What are you going to do in March? You have a great run in December. You do great in the Big Ten. Everybody's going to say, it doesn't matter. What are you going to do in March? And frankly, even if you have a great March next year, if you play into April next year, people are still going to talk about what happened against Fairleigh Dickinson. And I'll cite the example of Virginia from the day before. Like the common phrase or stats on Twitter you would see was, hey, look, Virginia lost to a 16, won the national championship. Then they've been out in the first round each of the last two tournaments they've played in. You know, So we're still talking about Virginia, even with a national title. We're talking about UVA as being a program that historically loses in the opening round. That is what we're going to talk about with Purdue. I'm not sure how you truly recover from this. 
because it's going to keep being brought up for a long time, even if you back it up with a really good tournament run next year. Yeah, no doubt about that. That thing is is they're going to carry that around their neck for a while. There's there's no question about that. What what do you think about everybody, especially some of the Purdue fans, suggesting that they were over Matt Painter and he needed to be fired? That's just the immediate knee-jerk reaction. Now, that does not mean that he is not without blame. I mean, I, I'm watching that game on Friday going, Matt, do something. Change something. Do something different offensively, defensively, substitution pattern. Don't, you know, don't take three timeouts in the final two minutes. Use those now. So, Matt's performance on Friday was every bit as bad as his players' performance was on Friday. But, now, does that mean that it's time to move on from Matt Painter? Of course not. But much like the players will be thinking, okay, how how do we remedy this come next March? He has to be doing that right now. Everything that he does in the offseason has to be, how do I make this program a better program in the NCAA tournament? You have to reevaluate, like, everything that you do and how you get from A to B Everything has to be okay. We, we have to change things up. I'm talking about clearing the house and, and getting rid of personnel or assistant coaches, et cetera. You have to check and see exactly how you build your team up to get to that point in the season because clearly how you've been doing it has not been working with the ultimate test. So is Matt Painter going anywhere? Of course not, and he shouldn't go anywhere. But does he have to say, okay, we got to do things differently? Absolutely, he does. Scoring-wise, I mean, just scoring in general when you put up 58 points against yep. Fairleigh Dickinson has to be just incredibly better. We saw there's 16 turnovers, 19% shooting from three-point land. You're not going to beat anybody in putting up those types of numbers. I, I just think with this team, and people will argue, well, Zach Eady gives them easy, score, or, uh, easy scores, but something easy score-wise out of the half-court set. Right? right? Like, I understand when you want to run sets and stay in your offense. And I was talking to Dusty May about this yesterday. But when you have an opportunity to free flow that up to court, run a little bit of a break, and find easy points that way, got to take it. And I just think Purdue has to find more ways to find points easier other than going to Edie in the low post and the half-court set. And frankly, I, I think, and I'm not trying to absolve the blame or saying that Friday was not as bad. No, it was terrible. Okay, but it's also part of the reason why, to me, it actually it amplifies how big of a swing and a miss last year was, because you have the ultimate guy that gets easy points in, in Jaden yeah. Ivy, and the again, even though the ranking was higher this year, I thought the pieces were better last year. And to this group's ever loving credit, they overachieved. Last year's team did not have anything they can point to in terms of tangible, hey, this is a great year for us. This year's group does have a Big Ten title. This year's group does have a Big Ten tournament title, which is more than last year's group does. But, again, knowing that you had a Jaden Ivey and knowing that you're playing, you know, the 15 seed in St. Peter's and you couldn't get past them in a very similar fashion uh, to how you just played against Fairleigh Dickinson this past week, it, it it makes the miss of of last year even more difficult to swallow for me. Yeah, I just I kind of think of it this way though. A year ago, the argument was that the guys will stand around and watch Jay Nivey make a play. Yep. And you know now the argument's much different, I guess, in the form of of Zach Eady. And then 
you can't stand on your own offensively when called upon, and and it was it was just miserable going back to Friday, no doubt about that. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, what class finals are you doing coming up Saturday? I have the three and four A games. So I have Northwood and Garing Catholic at six, followed by Ben Davis and Kokomo at about eight fifteen. All right, we'll get to that in a second. I want to start with Lutheran here, a local team that has yeah. gone south and come up through the south and disposed of Bloomfield, Lagodi, Rock Creek, and now they get Southwood coming up in the state. Quite a run for a team that I guess, from what people tell me, they like to get up and down the floor a little bit. They, they do, and they're playing a team that presses in Southwood. So a friend of mine is one of the officials for that game, and he texted me. You know, we get deep in the and he goes, hey, what, what games do you have? What games do you have? And he goes, I'm on the 1A championship game. And I go, get your track shoes on. <laughs> As when, when Southwood played, and it's, it's a brand-new head coach. It's first-year head coach Christian Perry, but the fundamentals of their program are the same that John Burris had for so many years. They played Morristown in the state finals five years ago. Yellow Jackets scored 95 just Southwood press and Morristown said fine <laughs> and then went up and down the floor Lutheran will not back down if Southwood wants to press him Lutheran will happily oblige and get up and down the floor with them so Remus Woods has done a great job building that program and a lot of the same things we would say about them in football you say about them in basketball so they're a 1A school that plays and what has turned into a 2A and, and even 3A conference with Beach Grove and Lutheran's a really good basketball team. I saw him play against Speedway in early February, and Speedway wasn't great that year. You could see, though, that, that Lutheran had a level of athleticism and level of depth that you don't often see at the, at the 1A level. So one thing that will be different for them is they'll go to be the favorite. You know, against Bloomfield, not the favorite. Against Lagodi, not the favorite. They will be against Southwood on Saturday, and we'll see how Coach Woods' bunch adapts to that, but uh, I, I like their chances. because like, Again, I think they came through the tougher half of the bracket and knocked off what people thought were the two best teams in, in the southern half of, of 1A in terms of Lagodi as well as uh, uh, beating Bloomfield around before that. All right, Greg. Linton and Fort Wayne Blackhawk. Blackhawk lost to North Davies if you want a, a common play-in team uh, as Linton would have by five in overtime early in the season. Blackhawk is coached by – that's Matt Roth from IU, correct? That is correct. And obviously, you know, the fundamentals of this program uh, are built on Mark Davidson, who yeah. we lost at, at the end of last season. And one of his many basketball playing sons is, is still playing at, at Blackhawk Christian. But this is a program now that has turned into simply put one of the best outside of 4A every year. Uh, and even they are not a member of the Summit Athletic Conference, they basically play a full um, you know, summit conference schedule, which means they largely play 4A competition. What's unique, though, is that they go down to southwestern Indiana every year. They play in when they played North Davies. That was in their annual Bobcat Classic, which was before Christmas this year. Uh, in fact, it actually wrapped up right after Christmas, a couple of days before North Davies, and would go play in the Hall of Fame Classic in Newcastle. And so it, it kind of gives them more of an idea as to what. Linton Stockton, you know, would like to do and can do. And again, in, in talking with some friends of mine about this game, you know, what makes Linton unique is not just having a kid like Joey Hart that's super good, but they've got a lot of football kids in that team. Of course, Brian Oliver has built that into a wonderful football program at Linton Stockton, but they are big and physical for 2A. Well, Blackhawk Christian, maybe not as big as, and physical, but they play a lot of teams that are like that. 
which means I think we are looking at a really good matchup on Saturday. Again, I would lean towards Linton because I think their best player is the best player on the floor in Joey Hart. But Blackhawk Christian will absolutely give them a game because they are so battle-tested by the schedule they play during the regular season. He is Greg Raystraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You're doing 3A. That's Northwood and Garen. And Garen here locally is on quite a run here recently. They are, and, and they came through the open half of the bracket. Um, in, in my years of doing the pairing show, I'm not sure that I ever went into it in, in half of a bracket and going, I have no idea who's coming out of this group uh, because there were five or six teams you could point to and say, maybe it's them, maybe it's them. I think in the final 3A poll, I think only two of the top ten teams were actually in the southern half of the draw. Garen actually lost to both of their conference rivals in Brabuff and Chittard. They would then turn around and beat in their sectional. And then once they got through that, it largely has been smooth sailing for them. Uh, Beach Grove and then Scottsburg were the last two teams uh, that they were able to beat. There had been a slew of upsets during the course of the 3A uh, bracket. Northwood has not succumbed to them. Northwood is the clear number one in 3A. Uh, they've got two young men in Cade Brenner and Ian Rosh. They're going to play at Huntington and Grace, respectively. And those that know small college basketball – no, that has turned into, in the Crossroads League, one of the best leagues outside of Division One in the nation. That is, And I'm talking about all divisions. That's how good the Crossroads League has become. And so you got a couple of kids that are going to go play there. Immediately, it tells me you're pretty good. I saw them. I had them in the Hall of Fame Classic. They led Ben Davis at halftime, kind of wore down in the second half, as a lot of teams do against Ben Davis. They beat North Davies in the first game that they played over the Hall of Fame Classic. They're good. They're not very deep, and Garen does match them from a size perspective. Both those two teams have uncommon size, almost even for the 4A level, let alone the 3A level. Again, Northwood's the favorite. I think Garen can hang with them on Saturday night. All right, you're also doing 4A. Kokomo, Ben Davis, what do we take away from their first meeting in which I think Ben Davis won by seven, did they not? Correct, and and, and it's you know almost four months ago at this point, and so – it's important to note that Dowdy and Badunga, you know, match up very similar to each other in terms of the half-court game. Um, in, in Kokomo's defense, probably their second-best player is Shane Spears. going to play football at the University of Finley at the Division II level. He was hurt from the end of the football season, and Kokomo made the football semi-state. So they had some guys that really weren't exactly basketball ready. Uh, they have a lot of football players on their team. It was their third game of the year. So you can sit there and say, hey, Kokomo has more of their full complement of guys for this one than they did back on December the 3rd. Um, and, and you can also say that Floyd Badunga is still so relatively new to the sport and work and developing his game at a rapid pace that he's a better player than he was probably December the 3rd. And that'd be an accurate statement, too. I also think Ben Davis is a better team than they were back then. And Ben, you know, Ben Davis was really good to start the year. I mean, look at the teams they beat right out of the chute. But when K.J. Wyndham got hurt, when they beat Cathedral the first time, and Mark Zachary was inserted into the starting lineup and K.J. started coming off the bench when he returned in late December, the pieces seemingly fit better for Ben Davis. You, you, you brought one more defensive-minded guy to the starting lineup. 
You put more of an offensive guy on, on the bench in terms of KJ and winning base. When he gets in the game, let it go. Let let you know fire away. Let's see what you're doing from an offensive standpoint. Right. I, I think both teams are better than what they were back in December the third. Again, you got to lean towards Ben Davis because they've been so good and they played such a ridiculously good schedule to get to this point of the year. But absolutely, Kokomo can hang with them on Saturday night. So Greg Rakestraw's got the 3A and the 4A for you. It's going to be a fantastic Saturday down at Cambridge Fieldhouse. The boys' IHSAA state championship basketball games, all four classes repped on Saturday. And uh, Greg Rakestraw got you very educated on each and every team right there via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, my friend. I'm assuming at some point on Saturday night I'll get a call in, too. You will. Now, again, because of, of, of the timing, it's going to be a little bit late. I may have to, like, delve into, like, the se- – I may not be on until 11. So I'm going to have to make, like, my first 70s request. Super sounds the of the 70s system. after 11s. Built for you, brother. Uh, I, I think a little, you know, K-Billy's, you know, stuck yes. in the middle with you as a nod to Reservoir Dog. That might be my phone call. A little green bag is what you're thinking about right there or stuck in the middle with you by Steeler's Wheel, something like that. Steeler's Wheel would be the direction I would go. I love it. All right, brother. I'll look forward to it. All right, be good, buddy.